Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Creation Podcast, the show where we discuss the science that confirms scripture. I'm your host, Lauren, and I'm here today with ICR's Director of Research and Geologist, Dr. Tim Clary. It's so good to have you here, Dr. Clary. No, it's good to be here, Lauren. So we talked recently about geological evidence for a young Earth in last episode. This is part two to that episode, so we're basically going to be talking about some more aspects of that. To our viewers and listeners, if you guys did not get to hear part one, I would highly recommend that you go back. It'll it'll have some valuable things that we talked about, including shale and limestone and um, various geological layers and how that backs up the global flood. Lots of interesting stuff, so I highly recommend you go back and listen to part one if you haven't already. But we're going to dive into some more aspects that we see in the Earth's geology Um, that really demonstrate that what the Bible says is true, that we can trust it. Mm -hmm. So we talked about several different types of rock, including Mm -hmm. shale and limestone last time. I would love to hear a little bit about sandstone. You you referenced it a couple times during Mm -hmm. um, part one of this episode. I'm curious, what are your thoughts on sandstone and how does it tie in with a creationist perspective? Well, most sandstones we see actually have what we call sedimentary structures in them. And those are things like cross beds where you can actually see it. takes a little bit to explain. A cross bed is actually <laughs> what the layers are laid down kind of flat okay. or, or close to. But yet there's there structures within them from moving water. Just like you go for a ripple, and there's a little bump. And, and it's kind of like falling off the face of the end into this lee side. And so you get what looks like rocks that are actually tilted. But they're still within the layer. So you get this tilting as these ripples kind of progress along in the water. Uh, you see rippled water, you'll, those, those actually migrate. It's, so the ripples will actually migrate. As they migrate, they leave behind these little lines that cut across the normal flat bedding. Okay. So they're called cross beds. But the, and they tell us the direction the water was moving. And so mm. you'll always see the, the lee direction. And so geologists can actually measure the angles of these and see which way those rocks were deposited okay. uh, during their depositional episode. And so there's, there's, that's one of these sedimentary structures. Well, we see these big, huge cross beds in some places like in Zion National Park and other national parks. And the signs will always say, these are dry, arid sand dunes. They're formed in a desert, like the Sahara Desert. But when we study these rocks, and John Whitmore at Cedarville University did a lot of work on the Coconino sandstone down in Arizona, which is another cross-bedded sandstone, really big cross beds. Uh, some of these uh, cross beds are literally 10 foot or more in terms of their, elev- in their height. And so they're... Tr- we believe they're from big water waves. The evolutionary community says these are from dry air at sand dunes. And so there's this big debate. And whether it's water whether or it's, air. It's water or air. Yeah. And being flood geologists or you know, creation geologists, we believe in the global flood. We believe that there should be evidence that these are deposited by water. And sure enough, when he looked at the, the, the rocks themselves, and looked at thin sections, it really got into the, to the rocks. What they find in there are some minerals. They only form in water. Hmm. And so you find these, what's called dolomite ooids in the coconut sandstone. It's a fun name. I know. <laughs> I was going to explain that. They're little round, <laughs> tiny little balls. I should have brought some with me that form today in like the Bahamas where the waves are kind of going back and forth. So they only form in the ocean. To find these in sand dunes shows that these were deposited by water. And there's other minerals like muscovite flakes, which are these flat platy minerals, that kind of a mica mineral that you might see. Some of that's made into like ladies' makeup. So if you have glitter, they grind up some of these minerals that oh. kind of give you that glitter look to mm-hmm. it. Uh, those minerals break down really easily, and so they should, you know, become literally powder. But yet we're still seeing flakes of those in the sand. So these 
indicate also that they were deposited by water and not by wind, or the wind would have broke them all down. So there's been empirical studies supporting both of those, the Uids and Muscovite, and, and some people even argue the angle of the cross beds don't seem to fit as well with what you see in sand dunes and blown by wind today versus what's blown in the water. And so all these things seem to really imply that these are water-deposited waves. And so the, this, the cross beds are so big in Zion National Park, for example, and we talk about this in our uh, ICR book about the, the, our new book on the, the National Parks. National Parks. Mm-hmm. Parks of America. Parks yes. of America, that's yes. it. They, we, we talk about Zion National Park, and they're, and they're so big that it supports that these were waves that were 500 foot high. So you're looking at 500 foot high. Now the uniformitarian geologists, they don't want to think about 500 foot high waves. They want to think slow and steady processes over millions of years. But these are really moving in by 500 foot high waves. That supports exactly what we would say as a flood geologist, a catastrophic flood actually occurred, bringing these huge water waves. So even sandstones, which are higher energy than, say, shales and, and limestones. And when you say, uh, just sorry to interrupt, but when you say higher energy, mm-hmm. would you mind just briefly defining that? Yeah, that just means faster moving water okay. and, or bigger water waves. And so that's that's what we seem to see with these large cross-bedded sandstones, especially the really big cross-beds that are maybe 10 or 20 foot high in their own right between the flat layers above and below. And so uh, it's it's to me, it's it's showing again and again that these are deposited by rapidly moving water, mm-hmm. which I call high energy, uh, waves that were depositing these massive cross-bedded sands all over the country. Uh, John Whitmer also mapped out uh, the Coconino seems to extend all the way up to, from the Arizona all the way up to Wyoming. It's the same rock layers being deposited about the same time, hmm. and they all contain crustbeds. Even go down to the Almost bottom. like there was a massive flood or something. Yeah, and, and even the, even the earlier layers, like the, these tapete sandstone at the bottom mm-hmm. of Grand Canyon, which extends across much of the United States as well, that shows crossbeds. They're just smaller crossbeds. Right. And so everything we see pretty much when we see sandstones all shows evidence that these are deposited by water, and they're deposited by fairly fast-moving water. Like the flood. Like the flood. Yeah. Confirming scripture again. Mm-hmm. So we've talked about some details of mm-hmm. rocks. So shale, limestone, mm-hmm. sandstone. Mm-hmm. Um, last video, we talked a lot about layers and mm-hmm. what those looked like mm-hmm. and what they represented mm-hmm. as far as creationism versus mm-hmm. evolution or uniformitarianism. So now let's kind of take a big step back and look mm-hmm. at the big picture, talk about big rocks. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk a little bit about catastrophic plate tectonics mm-hmm. and I know I've heard you mm-hmm. talk a number of times about how that ties in with the flood. Mm-hmm. So can you just kind of dive into that and give us a little bit of a background on catastrophic plate tectonics, specifically from a creationist perspective? Okay, this, this could take some time. Okay. But <laughs> I'll try to make it quick Yeah, and, Cliff Notes and version, yeah. And, and so people, when you, you know, go to school, you see the evidence, they talk about Pangea, this supercontinent, and people kind of get that because you can look at the fit of say, North America and South America with Africa and Europe, and you can kind of close up the Atlantic Ocean, you can pretty easily visualize that, you know, these, these things might have been together at one point in the past. And so if you're a Christian and you're wondering, well, did the plates really move? You know, is this really a valid idea? And you're taught in school that the plates only move like a couple inches per year, and that's what they seem to be moving today. But in the past, there is pretty good evidence that they move real rapidly. And that's mm-hmm. where the idea of catastrophic plate tectonics comes in. Mm-hmm. So it's an idea that was put forth back in starting in the 1980s by John Baumgartner's work. He noticed in his modeling, he did this computer model on a government supercomputer uh, showing that the 
plates themselves or you know would actually when they start to move they would actually start to slide into the earth they would start going really really fast at a certain temperature and then you'd get runaway subduction you call it which i'll explain a little bit later but essentially what the earth is is, is it broke up probably with the fountains of the great deep breaking open the earth kind of broke into 20 or so there's about 10 major plates and about you know 10 10 or 20 depends on how small they are uh, uh, smaller plates that kind of jostle around the earth's surface so the a plate includes the crust and a little bit of the mantle okay. but, it's, but it's very brittle and so how it, many just for reference how thick is that yeah, they're together? about they're about 60 miles thick or we wow, say 100 okay. kilometers in in science because we like to confuse people with metric system <laughs> so we look smart and uh, but but they're, they move around and to me it is very again unusual the earth is the only planet in our solar system that has tectonic plates oh i did not know so that. other other planets might have cracks on them and mm-hmm. volcanoes but the only one that seemed to have actually had moving plates is is our own earth which okay. we believe that was most likely the mechanism for the global flood mm-hmm. so god used the movement of these plates and the creation of new seafloor uh during the during the flood year to bring on the this progressive flood okay and the what happens is you create and destroy ocean crust or seafloor and the continents really do just kind of go along for the ride and you can add on to them a little bit here and there and there's different you know details about it all but really the there does appear to be some sort of a pangea like world uh, that god created and that and that broke apart during the flood year uh, for various reasons and in the process it caused the water to rise all the way over the top flood all the continents and then the water went back down and, and it works out really nice because you if you make more seafloor, the more you make seafloor, it's hot. It's coming. It's magma coming out of the mantle, and that seafloor pushes up from below. Mm-hmm. And so, imagine in your bathtub, and suddenly the bathtub bottom goes up. What's going to happen to that water? It's going to start going up as well. Mm-hmm. Water doesn't compress well. Right. So the more seafloor that was made, the more the water went up. So we talked about a progressive flood, is what I'm seeing on the on this on the continents in my research. We're seeing this progressive flood that started out slow and then more and more and more. Well, plate tectonics explains that perfectly because you're progressively making more and more seafloor, starting with you know zero seafloor, fountains of the deep crack open, subduction begins, and John Brown Gardner has modeled with very sophisticated computer models how that would actually go quickly once you reach a certain temperature. It starts to mm-hmm. drop into the earth almost like a weight in water. And so, and so these, sorry, go ahead. Well, no, no, these, these 60, 60 mile thick plates are sliding into the mantle very, very rapidly. That was his model. And then it's, over the course of a year, of course, you can make a whole new seafloor. Mm-hmm. But the more you make, the more it pushes up from below because it's hot and buoyant it's like a hot air balloon. And so the more ocean crust that was made, the more you flooded. And that's exactly what we see. It's a perfect match between his theory of catastrophic plate tectonics, making new seafloor progressively. Mm-hmm and the progressive flooding on the continents. So it seems to be the mechanism that God used uh, to bring on the global flood, and that's why it took 150 days to reach the peak because okay. you progressively had to make more and more seafloor. Right. But you're making it at about a, you know, several meters or several feet per, several yards per second. Okay. So I'm always thinking of metric. It's hard <laughs> to go back and forth. On the fly, but it, but yeah. it's basically several yards per second. And mm-hmm. so you can, if you, do, if you do, the, do the math, you can make a whole new ocean seafloor in the course of a year pretty easily. Okay. 
No, that makes sense. And that actually answered the question mm -hmm. I was going to ask oh, a moment okay. ago. I was just going to ask you if um, the tectonic activity mm -hmm. came first mm -hmm. or if it happened at the same time as the water happened to be coming out of the great mm -hmm. deep. Mm -hmm. um, but it sounds like the tectonic plates, God used that activity to cause the waters to come out. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, well maybe not quite. Okay. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe I misunderstood. But, you know, people talk about the fountains of the deep mm -hmm. coming out. And, and I think there was a lot of volcanic activity mm -hmm. associated with that. And we do see evidence of that in areas around the world, even before these first flood sediments come in with fossils, like the Tapit sandstone. Mm -hmm. We see evidence where there was big cracks in the earth that opened up. And so by a miracle or, or however it began, God spoke into existence, these cracks that opened up all over the earth, the fountains of the great deep. And I think water was coming out as well. Even today, volcanoes produce a lot of CO2 and water. That's the number, you know, that's basically what they produce. In addition to the lava, there'll be steam and there'll be Gases right. coming out. And most, the thunderstorms yeah, and stuff. And, and most of it's CO2 and water. There's a few other gases, but the vast majority is, is that. So there's even a lot of water coming out today. And even in the Earth's mantle, there's still a lot of trapped water. It's not sloshing around, huh. but it's trapped in the rocks down there. So when it comes up, it releases that water uh, through these volcanoes. And so okay. we still see that happening today. How much water came from what we call the fountains and how much came from the oceans? You know, it's difficult to separate okay. out. I think a lot of the water was already there in the oceans. We added some new, of course, through this uh, fountains of the deep bursting. I love the earth, but again, the, to try to figure out, today it's all mixed and you can't right. really separate what came from what. Right. Uh, but I think there's enough water in the oceans today that if you push the bottom up enough, you can flood easily over a mile of land. So you can flood in the That's early earth. Water. Early earth might not have had, you know, it probably didn't have the big mountains we have today. Those happened later. Those are pushed up later like the Himalayas. Okay. And so you might have only had five to 6,000 feet of elevation as the maximum in, right. this, in the pre-flood world. So this progressive flood model seems to really fit what we see in the continents mm -hmm. by progressive sedimentation, layer upon layer, getting more and more coverage. And it's explained, I think, the best by progressive formation of new seafloor, which the more seafloor, higher water. And as you generate movement, pl moving plates, of course, you make tsunamis. And so we have these tsunami waves that kept going higher and higher. And as we talked about Just earlier, like, yeah. you had 500-foot tsunami waves mm -hmm. So uh, to make those cross beds that we see, like right. in Zion National Park. Yeah, well, again, people don't want to think about that today. They, that's too catastrophic, and it's very difficult for people to imagine things that are five and ten times bigger than anything they've witnessed in the last couple thousand years. Well, it is, it's mind-blowing, but I am curious— We've gone over the fact that tectonic plates are basically unique to Earth. Mm -hmm. What do evolutionists and uniformitarians say about that? Where did the tectonic mm -hmm. plates come from according to them? And does their explanation mm -hmm. work? That's a very good question. It has a short answer. They have no idea. <laughs> they have they, they constantly are publishing articles trying to figure out when did plate tectonics begin on Earth? How did it begin? And so, you know, people will criticize us as creationists saying, Well, you don't know how plate tectonics there. Well, neither do they. And so nobody really knows how the tectonic plates really came into existence when they first started moving. But the Bible tells us when you just read about the flood, it talks about the fountains of the great deep bursting open. Mm -hmm. To me, that opened up the, the cracks. Yeah. And then exactly how subduction began, again, is a big mystery to the evolutionary geologist as well. But maybe God stepped in. You know, we believe in God. We don't have to explain everything naturalistically. And so there are moments where he steps in and he starts things going. Mm -hmm. And maybe he let it progress, but he somehow began the subduction process through these cracked fountains of the great deep bursting 
subduction begins. And as it started to go faster and faster, it started making more and more ocean crust. And that led us to the, you know, water peaking at day 150, like the Bible says, because you made a whole new seafloor. And what's kind of interesting is it also explains how the flood ends and why plates are moving slowly today. It's because once you consume all this original ocean crust, which is presumably colder and more dense, so cold things generally are more dense, uh, and the hotter crust, of course, is more buoyant mm-hmm. and only pushes up from below, right. but it's harder to subduct. And so kind of like pushing down you know, a beach it's, ball it's kind of, into kind a pool. Right, trying, exactly. Yeah. And so you can't get it to go. So once you made a whole new seafloor of new hot ocean crust, very quickly it didn't have time to cool enough to subduct. So it kind of reached a point where it, all of a sudden it's trying to push that beach ball down in a pool. Mm-hmm. Everything just kind of stops. So today you see a little bit of movement. We still see earthquakes. We see some devastating earthquakes. Mm-hmm. We see some devastating tsunamis. But it's nothing compared to what would have been happening during the flood. It's hard year. to imagine. And, wow. and, you know, people in Noah's day didn't believe there was going to be a flood. They never even saw probably a local flood. You know, today we have local floods we can see. But today it's hard to imagine a global flood. So people are always trying to make it small. But the evidence is right below our feet. You know, mm-hmm. Generally, wherever you live in the world, there's thousands of feet of sediments full of fossils that all are best explained by the flood. So mm-hmm. the evidence is all around us and underneath our feet. And there's no other explanation mm-hmm. that fits the evidence so well. No, it's yeah. t- t- the, the big picture really fits the, well, exactly what the Bible says mm-hmm. about a global flood. That's a huge encouragement. So, okay, we have dived mm-hmm. very deeply <laughs> into <laughs> geology and tectonic plates. Into we're going to step back for a second, mm-hmm. and we're going to have mm-hmm. our random science question of the day. <laughs> So it's actually related, funny enough, it's actually related to something that you referenced mm-hmm. earlier. Mm-hmm. So just going to keep it real simple. Pangea, mm-hmm. is it real or not? What are your thoughts? Well, I believe it was, but our, our reconstruction based on the, the, the sedimentary work that we're compiling all over the, the world and the, the work that we're doing here at ICR uh, and our ICR column team, is, it's not just me. There's, there's, there's two of us uh, working away on it. And so when you plot this up, we're constantly working on refining our reconstructions, what best fits. Oh, you know what? For our listeners, mm. I know some of y'all mm. know what the Pangea is because mm. we've talked mm. about this before. But just in case mm. someone doesn't, can you just give a super brief definition of just like a mm. two-sentence, this is what the Pangea is? Okay. It's, this is it's a concept. Pangea is basically a supercontinent. Put all the continental masses of the Earth back into one. And that seems to be somewhat true. I mean, we put it all back together. It seems to fit. Close up the Atlantic. You get everything kind of matching in there pretty well. And there, there are some areas, like in the South Pacific, it's, we're still not really sure. Nobody really seems to know what to do with it. So we're working on that as much as the evolutionary geologists are trying to figure out the best configuration based on what we're seeing. But the, the idea of Pangea seems to hold true, that so you can believe in, in plate tectonics and still be a global flood uh, you know, advocate, so to speak. Uh, so... Th- it is. It does seem to be real. We just have, we call it a modified Pangea. We have a few minor tweaks okay. to what's what's shown in the textbooks as truly Pangea. We don't believe there were earlier Pangea, so to speak, earlier like supercontinents. Yeah, okay. the, the next one down, the, you know, in the past was supposed to be Rodinia. Mm. There's some people that advocate there was Rodinia. Then there's Pangea, but the problem with that is you have to make two ocean crusts, and so to you know you have to make to get, like to get to get to get from Rodinia. To Pangea, you've consumed basically all the ocean crust to get to that point. Hmm. So then the, we'd stop. We'd still be in a Pangea world today if that was the case. 
But the Uniformitarian geologists, they, you know, they think there was a multiple continental supercontinents that came and went throughout geologic time. They have to believe that because if they ever figured out when the plate tectonics began, they, you know, they go back four or five different supercontinents that kind of kept coming and forming and coming and going. But there's really no evidence for one, okay. you know, which is Pangea. Okay. No, that's helpful. And mm -hmm. that kind of leads into, we're going to step back mm -hmm. into our topic mm -hmm. at hand now. Okay. And that kind of leads into our next um, topic mm -hmm. um, involving geological evidence that confirms creation, confirms mm -hmm. what the scripture mm -hmm. says. So deep in the Earth's mantle, there are cold subducted slabs mm -hmm. Would you mind discussing those a little bit, what they are and the problems that they present for evolutionary and uniformitarian scientists? Okay, these, these so-called slabs are really just a subducted seafloor. And so the- and By subducted, can you define right, that? Right, in Sub very simple subduction terms? is, again, you have to have a crack in the earth and part of the ocean crust, uh, which is dense, more dense than the continental crust, is subducted. So during plate tectonics, you create a new ocean crust, you destroy the older ocean crust, and that's basically, and the continents kind of move around for the ride. Uh, and so that you really, what happens is these parts of the ocean crust get pushed into the earth, you know, these big folds. So along today, we see these trenches all around the Pacific Ocean. There's one along the west coast of the South America. There's some up in uh, Washington, Oregon. There's still a little bit there. And all around the Pacific, the so-called ring of fire is really just, those are subduction zones where part of the ocean crust is being pushed or pulled down into the earth because it's more dense. Okay. And today it's not moving fast. We talked about this earlier. Mm -hmm. and we believe during the flood year, there was rapid movement until you consumed all the original crust of the ocean and now you're dealing with hotter ocean, it no longer could subduct. And so that's why plates stop moving except for a couple inches per year. Right. Okay. But the subducted slabs, if you're a uniformitarianist, you think those are moving, you know, just a couple inches per year. So you go these slabs, we can view those now with what's called seismic tomography, which is kind of a technique where we wait for big earthquakes to hit, and we can map out the velocities, and the, as the earthquake waves go through the earth, you can kind of visualize underneath these trenches, these ocean trenches where these slabs are, seem to be going down, we can see the earthquakes, but we can also image now the slab itself, and you can look at the densities of those slabs. The densities imply that these are still very cold, even at great depth. And what is the ramification of that, just to make sure we fully mm. understand? They're still cold, very at great depth. Even, is, I'm sorry. Well, no, no, that's I exactly just, it. Okay. No, that's good. Okay. It was perfect, because what that means is these things went down there recently. They went down very fast, and they went down recently. So this is empirical evidence that supports rapid plate movement, catastrophic plate tectonics. Mm -hmm. These slabs should not still be cold. They shouldn't have the density of a cold slab all the way down to the core. There's big blobs sitting on top of the Earth's core, a couple thousand kilometers down. Wow. And if you do the math, you know, these are 60 miles thick or 100 kilometers thick slabs of seafloor and ocean crust, and you know, it moved down the lithosphere along with it, which is what the plate is. It's, it's crust and mantle. Uh, that upper 60 miles goes all the way down. That should have heated up by now if these are really millions of years old. And so you should see this big contrast in cold slabs versus the hot mantle it should all be kind of hot and so there should be a point where these these the density changes and everything just kind of dissipates you shouldn't see it anymore okay so kind of like blobs in yeah. with the rest of the right okay okay and it's all due to density and the, and the only the best explanation for that density is that these are still cold 
and the evolutionary scientists are, eh, you know, they don't talk about it a lot. When they do talk about it, what do they say? Well, they're trying to find some sort of a change in phase, like mineral ch- phases as they go down, you know, in it gets hotter and more pressure as you go deeper. So there are some minerals that do change, but you don't see a difference. At the surface, it's the same color when you plot these densities by color all the way down. And so there isn't like a sudden change somewhere halfway down that turns right. into a different color, which would imply a different density. It's the same density all the way down. Hmm. And so it's really a problem for them to explain how you have these deep slabs or the deep plates that are all the way down deep in the earth, all the way down to the core, and they still seem to be really cold. They shouldn't be really cold. But if you're a recent flood person like me and you, where you believe the flood happened 4,500 years ago and these all moved down there very quickly, this makes perfect sense. It makes perfect sense. This is verification that there really was rapid plate movement. Now, there's one other thing I got the chance to do. Before I even came to ICR, I got to work with Steve Austin and uh, this ICR funded called a FAST project. And I got the chance to go to Kodiak Island and see some of the thickest, uh, what we call pseudotacolite. That's a big word. We can just show it to PST. But pseudotacolite is a pseudo-igneous rock. It really is an igneous rock that's formed by friction. So as rocks move, sometimes faults move rapidly and far enough, they'll actually melt the rocks. But normally that's only like, you know, little smidgens. A tenth of an inch at the most for 100 feet or so. There's there's a kind of a, you know, they, they kind of speculate. And so there's a lot of this melted rock, but it's usually really super thin. When you go to Kodiak Island, it's 10, 12 inches thick. That's a lot of friction. It's the thickest wow. in the world that they've been discovered so far. Mm-hmm. And it's an old subduction zone that's no longer active. So during the flood year, this was a subduction zone that was moving very, very, very rapidly. And so this is independent verification that the plates really were moving fast and rapidly, so fast that they're actually causing melt. Oh, my word. And, and the rocks don't normally, again, that, that thickness of melt doesn't seem, might not seem like a lot, but it is to geologists. That is a lot. Well, to have the friction to mm-hmm. melt mm-hmm. rock, mm-hmm. like that is heat that, mm-hmm. how, how hot do you think that is? How hot does it have to get well, to melt rock? you're looking at stuff over 1,000 degrees Celsius oh, for the word. most part. So the rocks wow. around it are cooked. Okay. But then you just you can see this zone where it's, it looks black, almost like coal. Mm-hmm. It's over 10 to some places 12 inches thick, and there's a couple of them there. So this is sort of independent rock verification of this runaway subduction, this real rapid subduction process. So Lost we have the cold the slabs deep in the earth, mm-hmm. and we have rocks at the surface that show rapid you know, plate movement as, in a subduction zone as well. So those two things verify, again, that what we're saying as creationists is is real. There's science to back up exactly what we say, uh, that wow. there was rapid plate movement in the, or in the earth, uh, to move Pangea apart during the flood year. And it's not so crazy to think that happened recently because we're seeing the evidence in the, in the earth itself today of those very, very cold slabs all the way down to the top of the core. Right. Goodness, I said this in mm. part one of this episode, mm. and I'll say it again. It just blows my mm. mind um, that this isn't being mm. just taught and spread more widely because this evidence, we've talked about mm. a lot of different mm. topics in the last couple episodes, mm-hmm. and I know that you've discussed other things mm-hmm. with um, in your articles and mm. in other podcasts mm. with us. There are There is overwhelming evidence mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the Bible is true, mm-hmm. and this is just geology. Right. We, we can talk about just any geology. other. <laughs> <laughs> see, geology. It's just rocks. one area of science. No. Yeah, yeah. You've got your yeah. you've got your favorite mug there, yeah. but this is just mm-hmm. one area of science. Mm-hmm. But in every area, mm-hmm. it's consistent mm-hmm. 
the reality goes with what scripture mm-hmm. says. And mm-hmm. I'm just so grateful that you could come on and share mm-hmm. all of this with us. As we finish mm-hmm. up this special mm-hmm. two-part episode, did you have anything else that you wanted to say about how geology confirms the Bible, how that points to our creator? Mm-hmm. Did you have anything else you wanted to say to wrap up? Well, it's just, it's a real pleasure to, to be able to work at ICR to do this. I mean, I've been here 10 years now and it's, and it's the research I'm doing now is the most exciting research I've ever done in my life. Mm-hmm. And it's. It, I didn't think I'd be doing sedimentology. I'm kind of a structural geologist, and I like to look at the folds and the faults. Mm-hmm. But to me, looking at uh, the research, that, similar to what I used to do in the oil and gas business, you okay. know, c- comparing rocks from place to place, verifying that there, you know, the discovery of a of a progressive flood, just like Genesis seven describes, where it talks about the waters went higher, they went exceedingly higher, they went higher, they went higher over the top. To see that on the continents, that all the continents are doing the same thing at about the same time. And the same things are being buried at the same thing, same sort of animals. And then to see that that actually matches up so well with the idea of catastrophic plate tectonics mm-hmm. put forth by John Baumgartner and others. And to show that as you make more seafloor, you would get progressively higher and higher waves mm-hmm. to explain what we see on the continents. Everything seems to work. It all, to it me, all it just together. amazes me that it all makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's the last chapter of, of my book, Carved in Stone, is it all makes sense. Because it really does. It really supports God's word. It really supports that there was a global flood. We don't have to just accept God's word blindly. Mm -hmm. There's evidence to back up everything that God talks about in terms of a global flood. Uh, We're just getting to learn a little bit more about the mechanisms that God might have used to bring on the flood, but everything's matching just Mm -hmm. so wonderfully. It's just, it's really exciting. I wish more people could know about this. I'm glad we're doing these types of uh, broadcasts and and getting our books out. out I wish more people would know that there's so much that's, being discovered in the last 20 years in geology, it's, it's, you know, people might think, well, geology is kind of boring, it's just rocks, but it's exciting when you see the evidence mm-hmm. is confirming everything the Bible says. Absolutely. And this has been really encouraging to me. I hope it's also, mm-hmm. I'm sure it has been um, encouraging to our viewers as well. Um, we are so grateful that you could be with us today, Dr. Clary. Thank oh. you for going over all of this today and also in part one of this episode. Thanks for being with us. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Thank you. And to our viewers, make sure to like and subscribe. Um, We've talked a lot about geology in the last couple episodes, but we do talk about a lot of different areas of science and sometimes in our other podcasts, um, creation.live and others, we talk about other topics as well um, with science and with other areas of apologetics and just Christian life in general. And hopefully these topics encourage you, encourage you in your faith, encourage you that you can believe the Bible that you hold in your hand um, and the God who wrote it. So hopefully you will subscribe so you can be the first to know about new content that we put out. And for now, I'm Lauren, and we'll see you next time on the Creation Podcast. Mm